Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Jared Jones. He is the head chaplain at the Holy Trinity Episcopal Academy in Melbourne, Florida. I give you Jared Jones. Jared, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Scott. It's great to have you on. You are, congratulations, you just were... You were brought into the diaconate recently, yeah. right, of the Episcopal Church. Yeah. You've got, you're moving up in the world. You're a Presbyterian. You're frozen chosen. Now you're going into the high church world of Yeah, Anglicanism. that's one way to look at it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Moving up. Moving on up. Exactly. The higher, up. the higher, the better, I guess. Yeah. And you are a chaplain at in a, an Episcopal school, right? Yeah. Holy Trinity Episcopal Academy in Melbourne, Florida. Nice. It sounds like, uh, it sounds like the, the place where the wasps go to be formed. White Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, the, that's the that's mainly what I what I do. It's what I love to do. It's my passion. Hey, it's what we need. It's what we need. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So here we go. We got interesting texts today. Yeah, I love it. Our first text is Exodus three verses one through fifteen. You know, I whenever this text, it's like you know Moses has been you know exiled from Egypt. He fled from Egypt, and I just think the like. Verse one is such a sort of, he gets the mood. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. It's like, <laughs> it's like yeah. I was the prince of Egypt. Now I'm tending the flock that belongs to my father-in-law. Like, it's not right. even my own flock. Like, I'm kind of, this is it. I mean, I've really kind of, you know, uh, you know, that. It, it, it seems like Moses has jumped the shark. Yeah, no, there's no uh, better place to be in life than working for your father-in-law. There's no, uh, that's always a, uh, a, a good, a good way to think through what am I, what am I, what am I doing with my life now that I'm, I'm working here. Uh, Tending the flock. But, that's right. Uh, the priest of Midian. And, you know, he's got this flock beyond the wilderness and comes to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appears to him in this bush that was not consumed. It was burning, but it's not consumed. And this is this call to Moses when he takes his feet off because he's on holy ground. And he hears that this is the God of the patriarchs. And he hid his face because he was afraid to look, which is, you know, I, I assume understandable. Right? Yeah. No, I mean, if I saw a bush that was blazing and burning and talked to me by name, um, I would probably be pretty freaked out too. Uh, it's, it's pretty terrifying. Or it may have just been your first trip to like Denver and you ate bad edibles or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that also, yeah, I would be trying to think through what, what all, what all has happened in the past couple hours that would lead me to this, this moment. But here he is confronted with uh, the God of your father, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Do you think Moses had any idea who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were? Yeah, I mean that's a good question. I mean, yeah, you wonder what what the, the there's clearly the sense that God recalls and here's the people suffering. That's a good question. I mean, you know, what's the sort of awareness of these patriarchs that are generations and generations and generations past? It's yeah, you know, it's because well, you figure too, you know, that y y you have this sense too uh, th that 
in the beginning of the story of Exodus, right, that another Pharaoh came who knew not Joseph. So you do get the sense that there is an epic has passed and there's a, right. new, a new day. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think it's cool that, um, you know, not only in the Abrahamic covenant does God covenant to keep Abraham uh, and keep his promises to Abraham, but he also binds himself to Abraham in such a way that, that now he, he continually, you know, when he says, you know, I will be your God and you will be my people. I think a lot of times we, we focus on the, you will be my people part. Uh, but this idea that he's binding himself as, as God to this person to where in the future he introduces himself as I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, you know, I'm the one who's made a covenant with this man. So God continually, um, even attaching his very, identity and name to uh, this man Abraham, I, th- I think is pretty neat. Yeah. Carl Barth has this great phrase in Church Dogmatics 2-2, the Doctrine of Election section, where he's talking about, he said, what it means for us, you know, I'll say more about, but what it's certain that the electing means for God is severe self-commitment. He's like, you know, we're like Peter on our best day, Judas on our worst day. And like, he has this great refrain of, you know, we're the ones who give hearing to the serpent in the garden. We're the ones who answer God's constant pursuit with 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 our own fleeing and and recalcitrance, and it's just beautiful. It's, yeah, yeah. And you get that picture that this is. Yeah, and the other interesting thing too, I, I think I mentioned this on the podcast a couple weeks ago, maybe. But Robert Jensen has this great in, in the Erdman's commentary on the lectionary. He has this great little reflection, a couple pieces on Deuteronomy, and he says that you know the the basically the Exodus like doesn't presuppose creation, but creation presupposes, mm-hmm. presupposes the Exodus. Like it's not, you know, that, that, that faith in sort of the universal creation stuff comes out of redemption, not the other way around. It's not like the Egyptians or the Israelites oppressed are sitting around thinking about the, the Aquinas' five ways and thinking, well, I mean, gosh, there's got to be a necessary being because we all have contingent beings and there's right. got, can't have infinite regress. So should we, we should call out to the uh, source of all being or something. It's, right. it's, it's the particular relationship to God, the Lord of the covenant that, that is at, at heart and, you know, who they cry to. Right. Yeah. Crying out to, I mean, when God... At the at the end of this passage, he says, "Thus, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you." You know, God is is aware that the Israelites ought to remember him. You know, uh, that you know, not as some divine abstract deity, but as the one who's made promises to them. And of course, there's some people that say that this is uh, that these angel of the Lord kind of things are, you know, the pre-incarnate son or something, you know, there's that right. tradition, which St. Augustine hates. Um, but you know, if you want to think that you can think that as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I guess it can't, well, what could it hurt? I guess, you know, it's, a, you know, probably a lot of things. Aquinas quotes Augustine over 2,200 times in the Summa Theologica and never disagrees with them once. There's not one critical quotation. Wow. Yeah. In the middle, in the middle, in the medieval period, it was good to have the Bible on your side, but it was better to have Augustine on your side. <laughs> I like that. I like that. But I, I love the, the juxtaposition in this passage of, of this burning bush that Moses, that he's saying, do not come any closer. So there's this, this holiness or um, there's something there that Moses can't quite touch. And yet it's also this being who is, who is saying that he, he's not so transcendent that he's so removed from you know, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians uh, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. So you have this 
just juxtaposition of a God who is all powerful um, and yet is coming to save. And that's where the fear goes away is in this promise that he's coming to save them. Yeah. And what's interesting too, is that I I feel like the naming thing is significant. We don't, in our culture, I mean, I don't think we, we take names with it, with the same kind of seriousness. And, you know, generally we don't, I always think of the character Mephibosheth, you know, son son of shame. Well, gosh, what was going on when he was born? You know, (laughs) but but the naming is so powerful and, and, and it, it, it it carries more force than it does, I think, in contemporary culture, at least in contemporary Western culture, and that's part of what the significance is of the name. Like, who's what am I going to say? Who sent me? And it's great. The, the I am who I am. And then Jesus picks up on this later and says, you know, right. before, before Abraham was, I am. Right. It's kind of an interesting sort of allusion to this, you know, kind of claiming the same kind of personal covenant relationship that we see here in Exodus three. Right. Well, and I think. This kind of sets up the a lot of the other readings that tend to speak to um, the the human drive to try to comprehend and grasp everything, <clears throat> and and God um, saying that there is a there is not there there is a there's a level at which we will not comprehend Him. You yeah, know? And yeah. There's, and we've we've only really been given to comprehend what he has given us to comprehend. So here, you know, he's saying, "I am who I am." You won't totally understand everything about me, but you can know that that the God of your ancestors has sent Moses to you to save you. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that's beautiful, and that's what we cling to, right? Not abstractions, but right the the living Lord who is who is what He does in many ways. Who yeah. is who He is. On to 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13, and we have this interesting passage where Paul is saying that I want you to be aware that, you know, that your ancestors were all under the same cloud. They were baptized into Moses. They were drank from the same spiritual rock, Christ, you know, the eighth same spiritual food drank from the same spiritual rock. And, and yet also they were cut off, right? So it's interesting because there's this connection to, you know, there's this connection that the people in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, are people of faith, right? And, and that there's, a, there's a deep connection between the covenant relationship that the, that the Corinthians have and, and that the, the Israelites had. And yet, part, part of the, the draw, desire to draw the deep connection, right, is to say, you could be cut off too. <laughs> like they were. Right. Right. Yeah. And, uh, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. That's a, that's one of those verses that you don't see up on like Instagram posts. No, you know? no, it never, it's never like on those little plaques you give to graduates, you know, right, for, right, right. For, you know, at the, at the Trinity Episcopal school or the Trinity uh, Academy, right. you know, they don't, uh, they don't give these things. Right. Yeah. That's not what we're like reading out over them as they, as they go off into the, the, the world, you know, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven or, you know, John three sixteen. We'll do that, but uh, not. Um, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and twenty three thousand fell in a single day. Oh man! Yeah, but, uh, yeah. One of these verses is, is is one of the ones that you see used all the time. The um, uh, no testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful; He will not let you be tested beyond your strength. So, Scott, if anything is ever happening in your life, uh, suck it up because He hasn't let you. Uh, he's not letting you be tested beyond what you can handle. So you could handle it. Exactly. Get it together. Suck it up. 
that. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I mean, it's interesting to put this in conversation with the text, like you know, the bruised reed he will not break. You know, the small like that that ultimately. I mean, because you could really go in some distorted directions with reading this text in certain ways, right? But I mean, I think the the way I think to to read it in the context of the whole of scripture is that you know nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, right? Right, and so that that there there's no. You know, there, there. It's interesting because you know you hear this phrase, "Oh, this is a God-forsaken place," right? Well, there are no God-forsaken places, or no God-forsaken people, there are no God-forsaken parts of our own stories, our own lives. That those places are are things that all can be, you know, the theater of God's own redemption and healing in our in our lives. So it's not, you know, that those things are. We ought not to think that when things are hard, that that God is not present. Yeah, and I think pastorally, it's important to remember that. You know, I mean, I think you have two sides that you have the, 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 the truth is, and yeah, you have not been forsaken, but you know, if the Psalms teach us anything or if our own experience teaches anything, it, it, there are oftentimes where we feel as if we've been forsaken, you know, and, um, and that is a, that's a, it's an awful place to be. And, uh, it is comforting to simply just remind people, not in a way that, that would say like, well, you need to get over it, but just to remind people that God is faithful to his promises and, um, that he, uh, no matter what happens in your life, he will not let you go. Uh, and, and, you know, even the, the idea that, um, that Christ himself was forsaken is, is a comfort to to us when we go through those those moments. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that you know there's this this sense in which the this connection uh to these Israelites, right? That the spiritual food should encourage us and sort of not I mean not have this paradoxical thing like it, it seems that the that the spiritual practices in the Corinthian community somehow uh, take them away from the foolishness of the cross, right? In, instead of bringing them right near, near and, and deeper into that mystery. Yeah, yeah. So on to our gospel reading here, Luke 13, 1 through 9. At the very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he says, you know, Jesus thinks, says, do you think these Galileans suffered because they were worse than the other, any other Galileans? No, that, that's not how uh, things work. Or do you think that the 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell, were they worse offenders than people living in Jerusalem? No, but unless you repent, you all perish just as they did. And then he tells this interesting parable about a fig tree in a vineyard that uh, someone had planted and he came and looked for fruit on it. So he said to the gardener, see here for three years, I've been come looking for fruit on this fig tree and there's none. So cut it down. Why should it be wasted soil? And then the gardener replies, sir, let me get, you know, have it for one more year. I'll put a little manure around it if it bears fruit. Well and good, but if not, then we can cut it down. So we have we, fascinating. We, yeah, so we have a nice little. I like the gardener's a little more patient than the uh, right than the vineyard owner. Right. Yeah. This whole um, so you have uh, some type of event where Pilate had from everything I've read, which is not much. Um, it it seems to be some type of event where some Galileans were worshiping, and Pilate had them slaughtered in the midst of it to where their blood was mingled in with their sacrifices do you think that's is is that what 
Is that what you read there? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, uh, some event, some some kind of atrocity that the people would have remembered. Yeah, it looks like there's some kind of violent. Uh, yeah, some kind of violent attack. Uh, or, you know, or maybe Pilate's cracking down on people or something. You know, uh, right. to make an example. You know, occupied. I always, I tell you, generally, occupiers are not popular. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And, and you know, there's general unrest when you're, there's an occupying force. So yeah, and and Jesus is saying, you know, don't don't sort of try to read the their status before God or whether they're more regarded or res- less regarded by the accidents of history. Right, and I think that speaks to a just a fundamental human um, thing we all go to, which is <clears throat> when we interpret God based on yeah, like you're saying, the accidents of history. Where um, and I, and I think people people do this. People you know when they lose a job or um, if a loved one gets sick or or dies or um, when when things happen to us, one of the thoughts that begins to creep in is is this because of something I did or is this you know is this because of my past or um, you know and the, these these are the kind of questions that people bring, you know, this, these are quite, quite, quite frankly, these are the kind of questions I think people bring to church, you know, um, whether we know it or not. Uh, and, and I think it shows a fundamental human need to control and to grasp, um, you know, we, uh, when we see evil in the world, um, we, we want to have some type of control over it. And so it, it helps us to think that, well, surely there was some reason, you know, why this happened. You know, surely they sinned or they were evil and therefore, um, you know, and that, that's why this happened. Or, or the 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Well, surely it was because those 18 were particularly bad. And, and Jesus is saying, no, um, they weren't any worse than anyone else. Uh, which is, a, it's actually a pretty terrifying um, place to be you know, existentially, just to, to know that there's no, there's no, um, discernible order or reason why bad things happen. Yeah. There was this really interesting story I read about a couple of years ago. I mean, it happened, I think in the eighties or 84 or something that York cathedral in England caught fire because, uh, lightning had struck the cathedral. And what happened was like three days before the fire, Dr. David Jenkins was consecrated Bishop of Durham in the cathedral. And he said a lot of things that made people doubt that he believed some central tenets of, of historic Christian faith, especially the virgin birth and the resurrection. And on the Sunday evening following uh, the ordination, uh, I, th- I think it was somebody was preaching in his defense. And then a few hours later, lightning strikes the cathedral, right? And so people debated, well, was this God sort of saying he doesn't approve of this person's, you know, sort of... It, 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 what some saw as apostasy and things like that. And the one bishop, you know, so there's this big debate all throughout, you know, England and the papers and stuff. And the one guy, I think it's Bishop Hogarth or something. I forget the guy's name, but hmm. he said that he was asked about this. And he said, I thought the point of the gospel was to put an end to these kinds of conversations. Yeah. And I thought that was incredibly profound. It's, you know, I think of, a great verse in Deuteronomy, Deuter- Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. You know the secret things uh, belong to the Lord your God, but the promises revealed belong to you right. and your children forever. And so often we're seduced by the secrets that we can't know, rather than clinging to the promises which we can and 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 are given to know and right. to trust. Well, and and, clean, and trying to find those secrets, and I think that is what humans are constantly doing, whether you're in church or not, is is trying to discern some deeper order or some deeper reason why or um and that just winds up in despair um 
I think of, uh, I just watched Schindler's list again with my students, uh, for our world religions class. Um, and there's a scene in there where one of the prisoners, uh, a Jewish girl is, is crying and, um, saying to Schindler, uh, that she saw, you know, that day she'd just seen, um, someone get killed for a completely arbitrary reason. There was no, they didn't do anything wrong. They didn't do anything, um, particularly, um, they weren't being slow or anything like that. They just killed them for, for the sheer, um, you know, almost fun of it. Right. And, and she says to him, um, basic, I can't remember exactly what she says, but it's basically, she gets across this idea of it would, it would, uh, it would be more bearable if there was some discernible path towards living. You know, if there was some, like, if I knew if I worked hard at this camp, I would live versus if I screw up, then I will die. Um, she was being thrown into the, the place of this judgment is coming upon us irrespective of whether we're doing a good job or bad job. It's just there. Um, and, and I think, and that it is a, it is a, that's a terrible, I mean, that's, I mean, quite, it's a terrible place to be. Um, and, and I think in some ways that does mirror, um, the human dilemma of understanding that, uh, the good or the bad, all of us are going to die. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and there's no way out, you know, which is a fun thing to talk about on a Sunday. Exactly. It is. And then you have this, this, uh, this interesting parable, right? That, that, right. You know, one is interesting. It's interesting that there's a fig tree in a vineyard, right? So that's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's supposed to be for grapes, I would guess, but right. So it's interesting. I don't know if it's like just, that, that's an interesting, I mean, I don't know if to read too much of that, but it right. is an interesting detail. Robert Capon says about this parable in his wonderful stuff on the parables. He says, the world lives as the fig tree lives under the rubric of forgiveness. The world, of course, thinks otherwise and it's blind wisdom. It thinks it lives by merit and reward. It likes to imagine that salvation is essentially a pat on the back from God who either thinks we are good eggs or, if you notice how rotten we actually are, considers our repentance sufficient to make up for our unsuitability. But the foolishness of God, that is not the way it works. But by the foolishness of God, that's not the way it works. By the folly of the cross, Jesus becomes sin for us and he goes outside the camp for us and he's relegated to the dump for us and becomes garbage and compost, awful and manure for us. And then he comes to us, the vine dresser who on the cross said, uh, Aphes, to, to his Lord and Father, comes to us with his own body dug deep by nails and spears and his own being made dung by his death. And he sends out, he sends our roots resurrection. It's a great, uh, yeah. way, it's a great, I think, t- lens on the, on a parable that can be kind of elusive and, you know, a, a little, it's a little strange t- it's timing with this text, but yeah, it's, uh, it's beautiful. I think. Well, and I love this, you know, that is the promise and that's, um, in the midst of this world where, uh, there is chaos and pain and suffering and where we are tested, um, uh, that, you know, <laughs> testing beyond our strength that, that, um, that we, where we feel forsaken and, uh, where we're in bondage, which is what all the three of these passages are kind of speaking to that the, there is a, there is a God who's come to us and not, not a God who has come to us and given us reasons why, or given us the deeper meaning of, of suffering or pain or, but simply a God has come to us and said, I've remembered you and I remember you and your sufferings. And, um, and he comes to us in the form of preachers and, and, and he comes to us and again and again every week and tells us that he chooses us, that he is the God of our ancestors and that he, he forgives us, uh, that he is the, the, um, the gardener who, who patiently 
cares for uh, this tree that is, had, has no fruit, digs around it, puts manure on it, um, pleads with the, the, uh, vineyard owner, please give it another year. Um, and that's the promise that, of the, that, that this God is faithful. And I hope that our hearers and, and pre- listeners that are hearers of the words or preachers of it, uh, see here the gracious, um, gardener in, in worship this week. Thanks, thanks, Chad. Thanks for doing this with me. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, that was great. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe, or pass it along to a friend via email, or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Jared for coming on the podcast. And thanks to you for listening to Snacks this week. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.